podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Martin Keown signs up for Existence Anonymous. What sort of footballing partnership would bread and butter be? A triple helping of footballers' names in things. Sean Dyche's Glasto debrief. How many goals behind constitutes having it all to do? Crisp finishes. Can a consolation goal be too little but not too late? The rise of footballing cheat codes. Have you ever seen a footballer sneeze? And Keezy's latest crackdown on post-match emotion levels. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and on the adjudication panel today, an unchanged lineup. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, hello. Hello. And hello to David Walker. Hello. Right then, let's adjudication panel. First up, all I have to say, this came from Matt Browning, here's Martin Keown on Football Focus. How important... Is it for him to have that support at this time? Uh, not to be yeah. just be left, but to actually have a support system around him. <clears throat> having not been an addict, okay, in, in you know, I have an addiction for life. You know, that's probably the safest one. But these addicts, <laughs> we don't really know. They they get consumed. That little caveat afterwards is probably one of the uh, that that to me saves football focus. That's it. I'm going to start watching from now on. Careful to say probably the safest one. Just le- just in case he was just, just leaving the door open in case there was a safer addiction than life. What does he mean? I mean, are we assuming they're addiction for life? Does he mean just addiction for like staying alive? Like he's an addict for sort of safety and, you know, being alive? Or is it an addiction for like living life to the full? No, I, I think he's talking about, yeah, an addiction to living life okay. to the full. Um, <laughs> well, which, which conversely, Dave, makes it rather unsafe. I mean, if you go, mm. you know, full X Games, then uh, then you are conversely flipping it on your head and getting yourself into all sorts of bother. So don't want to be too, don't want to live your life to the full too much. And Martin Keown, he does strike me as something of a risk averse man. Mm. Just in the the way he sort of talks about stuff. Well, that's what I mean because yeah, that kind of like that tends to be the safest way. That would be. It would just be like my addiction is being really cautious. I'm, I'm an addict for safety. You can't really turn up to Tony Adams' sporting chance and just say, <laughs> "I'm just, I just, I'm addicted to life." It's a bit like Carragher coming on here and picking football as his first love. <laughs> right then. Next up, has got in touch. Uh, he, he's harking back to the back catalogue here. He says, I love the discussion about what kind of strike partnership chalk and cheese would be. And it was. It was a real highlight of, uh, of the old era, the tail end of the old era. But he says, what about bread and butter? Would it be even more lower league? Uh, I don't feel like it's strikers' names, maybe a midfield engine room. Dave, I feel like bread and butter would be more of a sort of league two centre-half partnership. One's a bruiser and one's more cultured. I'm, g- I'm going with Scott Bread, 34, and 21-year-old James Butter. And James Butter gets a £1 million move to Burnley. And there's a real, you know, massive fuck-off sell-on clause in there too. And he has a huge throw-in as well, just to 
in his locker. So bread is the bread is the stopper, and and butter is is sort of silky smooth, getting on the ball, spreading um, the butter. Yeah, well, they are uh, comparing it to chalk and cheese. Chalk and cheese work nicely because of the the natural contrast between mm. the two the two items. Bread and butter obviously go much better together than chalk and cheese, famously. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I, I like it in terms of a centre half partnership, or maybe even a central midfield partnership going on from the you wash I'll dry uh, <laughs> in, in last week's episode. I, I do think the names. I feel like um, not that I've met many Dave Chalks or Brian. Was it Brian Cheese? Did you say, what, what was Cheese? <laughs> Dave Chalk and something cheese. I can't remember. I think it was Brian Cheese. Or Gary Cheese. Gary it was Gary cheese. cheese. It was Gary yeah. Cheese. Gary Cheese. But I, I don't... I feel like you might need to adapt the bread and butter slightly. I think you might need a Breadman and a Butterworth. Mm. Bread, but, but, but known to the fans as bread and butter. Or Butterfield. Yeah, but I I do think that that is an important point because that's what I was thinking, Dave. Is the it's the contra- yeah the contrast of chalk and cheese. Bread and butter should be more similar. I think mm. I think you could have a pair of fullbacks as well, and I think it could be in the sort oh, of I like that. you know you're you hear a lot about inverting your fullbacks. Well, we've got bread and butter. You know they're they're the sort of they get bread, up and down. Bread stays back, butter goes forward. Is that? Is I that- don't know, I, but I don't. I think they can do a similar sort of thing. I just <laughs> think they work well as a pair. They both kind of bomb up and down. Whenever Butter gets fouled, he falls face down, of course. Always. (laughs) Good. Uh, I feel like all of these combinations, no matter what people will throw at us, are always going to be lower league. I don't know why. They're all quite earthy sentiments. But but yeah, speaking of footballer names, uh, we got a a bumper edition of Footballer's Names in Things this week. This first one Mm. came from Samuel. (laughs) Which... uh, Charlie, which member of England's 1966 World Cup winning team do you think is name-checked by Marvin Gaye <laughs> at the end of How Sweet It Is To Be Loved By You, live in Montreux, Switzerland in 1980? <laughs> 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 The mister is so perfect. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Gordon Banks is the, is the safest pair of hands that you want as your backing band. Um, yeah, I think he's guitarist, though, so, you know, good with his hands. Good Nimble. dexterity. Yeah. He's not very rock and roll, but I guess often, actually, the sort of backing uh, musicians in that kind of way, don't all, they can look quite unassuming, so maybe it would suit him quite well. Guitarist to uh, Gordon Banks, it turns out. Yeah. Let's, let's run through the rest of the England 96 World Cup winning <laughs> team to see if there are more suitable names to be a backing guitarist for Marvin Gaye. George Cohen, or is that too folksy, perhaps? Ooh, yeah, I think that is quite... Fo- I mean, obviously thinking Leonard Cohen, but... Nobby Styles, that could work. That's perfect. Drummer. Yeah. Yeah, Nobby Styles drummer, yeah. No, oh, that's really good. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Hurst. <laughs> no. No, doesn't work. Uh, Gordon Banks is fine. Right, we're just warming up here. Tom Footman gets in touch next, Dave, and says, after Michael Essien's name popping up on Netflix, he says, I felt inspired to share a similar, but in my opinion, even better, unlikely footballer popping up in The Indifferent Stars Above by Daniel James Brown, a history of the Donner Party expedition. And you really see him in a very new light after listening. But she could find no sign of her husband. Days and then weeks and then months dragged by and still he did not show up. Marianne didn't know if he had fallen ill, or died, or simply left her. She found out only after his bones were discovered. 
Edward Pyle had apparently had the misfortune to get into a dispute over a horse with one Antonio Valencia. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know it's coming. You're wondering who it's going to be. It doesn't matter who it is. It's a pathetic little pleasure, and there it is. It is good, though, isn't it? Oh, I could do this all day. I could do it all day. The thing about Antonio Valencia, Charlie, is that um, he always looks like... You know, th- th- there was something going on there, sort of emotionally buried underneath, because he's a very expressionless man. Yeah, he had an edge, because he? he went through that phase, or maybe his whole career, of not celebrating goals. It was sort yeah. of his thing. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise. Yeah, it would be quite an interesting character for a drama. Two down, one to go, possibly the peak of the segment. This came from Tom Grater. Which unexpected Premier League manager gets name checked 46 seconds into DJ Khaled's Every Chance I Get feet Lil Baby and Lil Dirk? Just about. Just, just about. Yeah, just yeah. about. I don't know I don't know what the actual lyric is, couldn't be bothered to find out. But um speaking of Sean Dice, this was purely a nice segue into the next one. This came from Daniel O'Connor. I need you to listen to this clip from Sean Dice. From BBC radio documentary Everton, Nothing Will Be The Same, dissecting his time at Glastonbury like a post-match press conference. It's hard to choose about because they're, they're so different for different reasons. So time of day, so I can't remember, I think it was the Friday, really hot, one o'clock slot, tough slot. The hives were absolutely brilliant. Lead singer, the banter was incredible, got the crowd going. I thought they were excellent. Foo Fighters, but they are. I've seen them a few times. They're, you know, they're top draw. Um, felt sorry for I think it was Royal Blood followed them I thought oh must be gutted you know in Foo Fighters time you know Rick Astley doing the Smiths was amazing there were so many good a few DJs you know but not necessarily big names just DJs because there's all sorts going on all the time you know you just stumble across a few DJs who were really good Rick Astley what a brilliant fella he is I mean he was fantastic you know so I must say he was terrific on the stage and terrific off fit and his lovely wife so we had a bit of a couple of beers with them as well which was good fun <laughs> <laughs> so my, fa- my favourite bit Charlie, is after he's run through every element of this, exactly appraising it, just like a football manager would, he ends by capping it off by going for a drink backstage with Rick Astley and his wife, <laughs> which is the equivalent of being invited up for a glass of wine by Sir Alex Ferguson after losing 3-0 at Old Trafford in 2009. Classy touch from Rick Astley. He, what he's saying is like it's per, it's just because I think anything in his voice and with those intonations, it is, it's just so reminiscent. Yeah, of that press conference or an interview style. The tough act to follow. Great if Foo Fighters as well. Andy Townsend's favourite. <laughs> Top Belo- draw, no less. Yeah, Love. beloved by people, by sort of football men of that sort of era. It just it's, it must be hard to switch out of that mode when you're being asked questions in, in what is essentially a broadly football context about something else. I like the fact that he was talking about sort of no-name DJs as if they were kind of, you know, just young lads. They weren't household names, but they were just, they're just in there doing a good job. Doing a job Which is quite, us. you know, it was di- quite Dyson, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, uh, I promise it won't be just be cheap last for the next 40 minutes or so. Let's go to For My Sins Corner. Um, you both very experienced in this art form now. I'm going to play you a clip from Popular Culture you just have to guess when the immortal words for my sins are about to be uttered inevitably. Back to Pointless, which is a fertile ground for for my sinsing. Here we go. There we are. Livy, welcome to Pointless. It's lovely to have you here. Tell Thank us you. all about yourself, Livy. Right. Well, um, I know Nikki because we were both head teachers in Leicestershire for a number of years. And um, we used to ring one another up and like... 
and cry. No, You've no. got absolutely, Alexander. Really? That's exactly what we used to do. Not all of the time. Not all the time. time. And um, since retiring, so I retired in 2014. And since then, Ooh. I've been um, a, a school governor. I'm now chair of governors for my mm. sins. I'm sins. Oh. Oh. So it's been nice for me to kind of see it from the other side. Charlie thinks he's got it. I'm, I'm not convinced. That. I'm, I'm not convinced. That. It felt post to me. No. It felt post. Dave, what do you I, reckon? When she said school governor, I thought, no, it can't be that, surely. Oh, I think that's quite for my sins, he's school governor. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Already a teacher. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a thankless task and, you know. Job, it's a job's worth situation as well. But <laughs> wait, you don't need to do that. It's just trying to stay involved. It's like moving upstairs, isn't it? Yeah. Is she in on the gag, though? Because she did an amazing four. Oh. That was, that was absolutely teasing us early on. I have to say, as an impartial observer, credit to both of you for not taking the bait there. That because was, Yeah. Yeah. Half our listenership would have gone for that, I reckon. And they're, they're I just thought it was too us. early. That was the yeah. only thing that saved me from going in there. Fair enough. That's an experienced head on young shoulders there in For My Sins Corner. Um, uh, Dave will just have to look at it in the edit and hopefully he'll um, he'll be fair about it. But it could be a win for Charlie Ecochet as Dave's barren run in For My Sins Corner continues. Next up, let's um, a bit wary of this. Uh, can we do match of the day? Are we allowed now? <laughs> it's fine, isn't oh, yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, come on. Yeah, we've got to maintain our editorial independence. Mm. Yeah, we do. We do. Stick to our guns. Uh, in that case, fine. Let's let's let rip. George Warby writes in and says, "What is the criteria, Charlie, for a team to have it all to do?" Jonathan Pierce said, "Arsenal have mm. it all to do now when going two 0 down against Chelsea." Is this a is this a fairly open concept? Is there is there a kind of criteria for time of the game? But. I think it's a, there's a winning margin that has to be fairly wide. That's that's number one, right? Two nil is just about right, isn't it? Yeah, I think this in this case it's fine, um, fine usage. I think context is important as well because if in this case where Arsenal didn't really look like they'd been creating loads, it didn't feel like there were loads of goals in the game. It feels more of an all-to-do situation. I think two nil. Could you say two nil in the first half, mate? Maybe, but it's borderline. Is it roughly analogous, Dave, to Mountain to Climb? Having it all it... to do is the same as Mountain to Climb? No, I think Mountain to Climb is, is bigger. Okay. It's more of a challenge than all to do, I think. Uphill battle? Uphill task? I think all to do is a bit more than an uphill task. Oh, so it's in just... between uphill yeah, task and th- Mountain to Climb. This is good. It's I good th- to have something. I think so. And all to do, I'm just thinking about it. I do think there should be some sort of time constraint unless you caveat it with you know there's plenty of time left but they've got it all to do i think if you're just saying all to do there should be a little there should be more time pressure if you think about when you hear it the most charlie you're most likely to hear it at half time so let's say two nil at half time and and one of the pundits or maybe the presenter going into ever break will say they've got it all to do Mm. in the second half so it's almost like looking ahead at a body of work that needs to be done and a second half seems like the most likely sort yeah. of body of time to, to use for this. So maybe that it kind of worked. Midrick, Midrick's goal to make it 2-0 went in in the 48th just, minute. Yeah, so, just yeah. after half time. So it kind I of do, works. I do think as well two goals is quite good because if you said all to do, I think if you were 1-0 down in a game you needed to win, then I think for all, then I think that would work quite well going second. You know, like we thought they'd have it all their own way, but actually they've got it all to do in the second half mm. if they, you know, if they want to overturn it and get the three points. But yeah. I think if you were... I think if you were 2 0 down and needed to win, it'd be something like it's going to take, they've got to come up with something special. Yeah, you're closer to miracle territory, needing yeah. miracle territory. Okay, so two goals is all to do. I think that's about right. I think that's okay. I, think there, I think there might be a little bit of 
sort of context-specific stuff here in that the second goal obviously was a bit of a fluke. Midrich Midric has put a, a cross in. Not and... according to Jonathan Pierce, by the way. Uh, who's convinced. Cynics <laughs> was... will say that it was... <laughs> so I don't know about that, mate. It's amazing and how it, many people misjudge that, actually. If, if Chelsea were sort of rampaging and they were just ripping Arsenal apart, I think the emphasis would be more on Chelsea and how good they're playing and maybe how badly Arsenal were doing. You know, what's going on here? Arsenal are sixes and sevens mm. or whatever. Shell-shocked. But because... You know, it was sort of a fluky situation. All of a sudden, they're just they're two nil down through no real fault of their own, really. In that situation, now they now they find themselves with all to do. Yeah. Okay. More precise concept than I would have imagined, but I'm glad we glad we figured it out. By the way, if anyone thought that former Robot Wars ace Jonathan Pierce was now powered by AI, it would seem that Chat JPT is looking a little clunky these days. Here's here's Chelsea's penalty shout. The defender's arm is away from the, his body. The VAR is saying. And it prevents the header going on target. And I think that's why you'll see the referee any moment now give a penalty. First big decision of the day is a penalty for Chelsea Football Club. Why do they need to be full named? (laughs) Under what possible scenario did Chelsea Football Club need to be full named (laughs) mid-game? Surely only in a club statement. And even then, it would only be the accounts. It's, is he telling well, them off? It's weird. In, you, you might hear in a more like declamatory sort of big statement way, like what a day for Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. They are. This is a club reborn or something, but it's maybe, in, in such a throwaway way. Maybe that's just how far Chelsea star has fallen that getting a penalty against <laughs> last season's runners-up now constitutes a, a big moment for them. But it, a very curious full naming mm. of Chelsea there. But that's what you get if you don't have a suffix to your name, Dave. That's what you leave your open to well exactly yeah could have gone for the blues but I mean that would have been <laughs> ludicrous uh, he would have done it in his capital gold days that's for sure Let's or channel see- 5 commentating on their run to the was it was it the cup winners cup in 98 he commentated on that didn't he yeah all the way up into the final then the BBC just took the final off them and said oh, we'll that- take it from here lads yeah, oh yeah. I've forgotten that <laughs> yeah, wow yeah yeah um, Barry Davis had the final right let's stick to match of the day Robinho gets in touch, says the match of the day commentator described Jacob Murphy's finish to put Newcastle 1-0 up against Crystal Palace as crisp. Surely not. Interested to hear what you think is required for true crispness. Um, I can I can confirm that it was Cliché's listener Mark Scott on commentary. This is as uh, Jacob Murphy lifted the ball over the goalkeeper and into the net. And it was a beauty. Trippier did time his run perfectly. And then the first time finish was crisp from Murphy. That is not a crisp finish. Quite a scruffy finish. He sort of towed it. He's kind of toe-punted it. It doesn't even come off the side of his foot. It's in it, oh, but it's a know. bouncing ball and he's hit it over the top. Yeah, look at it again. It hit, that comes off the top of his top of his foot. I mean, it's a relatively clean finish, Charlie. Like, it's, you know, a fairly, fairly decent technique. I'm, I'm not arguing against that. But what is a crisp finish? What should a crisp finish be to you? Yeah, I think it needs to be cleaner. I don't, I don't think that is quite clean enough. A crisp finish... There's, it's more deliberate as well, that one. And, and I think the slight confusion with that goal comes from it's not entirely clear if he means to do it, whether that's a cross or a shot. But I think really? a crisp... Yeah, I don't I think, this. <laughs> I know I'm doing a reverse, this Jonathan. This is astonishing. Bitt. This is astonishing. Jacob Murphy, a crisp, I'm, tra- I'm trying to think of a sort of exemplar of a crisp finish. But I think it's, um, it's deliberate, it's cleaner... Throwing it, it in exemplars not going to make your case any better here, by the way. <laughs> it might it might go in off the post. What's a crisp finish? I'm, to... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm disgusted. There is. A crisp finish is a rifled finish. Low. Yeah. Hard and low. Like, 
like business-like. Just get it in the corner. But that's what no. I mean by deliberate. But that's what I mean by deliberate. Yes, yeah, so you couldn't you, know, lo- you couldn't lob a crisp finish over a goalkeeper in any circumstances. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You can't lob a. Oh, just, it has has to to be- check that. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's fine. I, th- I think okay. low and deliberate. You know, I'm thinking of a goal where it comes across your body and you put it back whence it came, Re- in that really deliberate way that people do, and it ju- and it goes. The keeper's wrong-footed. It's crisp. It's low. It like Douglas Louise for Villa. Minus the deflection. Yeah. Yes. Could be that one. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be hard. It's got to be low. It's got to be unhindered to be crisp. Yeah. Yeah. Harry Kane has scored hundreds of crisp finishes. Yes. Throughout his career. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a crisp finisher. I'll tell you who was really a crisp finisher, though. Four minutes from time when Martin Pringle scored a second. A strong (laughs) run from Pringle and a crisp finish. Yeah. (laughs) Good old Gary Richardson on the old school. BBC Match of the Day, Goals Roundup duty there. That's when you can get this sort of shit in, can't you, Charlie, on the Goals Roundups? Just Gary in. Richardson doing, doing Goals Roundup Match of the Day. What a time to be alive. Right, that's enough for Match of the Day. Let's move on. Let's, let's move down the leagues, actually. Max Haley writes in, David says, on the Football League Highlights show, the commentator called Northampton's 66th minute goal to pull one back and make it 2-1 against Bolton like this. After dominating the first half, Bolton did find themselves hanging on towards the end. With a little under 25 minutes to go, Sam Hoskins was unmarked and halved the deficit. It was too little too late, though, as Bolton returned to winning ways. Whoa, 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 whoa. How can a 66th minute deficit halver be too little too late? It can't be both. It can't be both. You can't, it just can't be. Even retrospectively, Charlie, you can't say that a 66th minute Gold to make it two one is too little, too late. You just can't. Yes, I do. I would say the the I when I sort of was first thinking about that, I didn't realize it was retrospective. Now, retrospective, it doesn't save it, but it. I I can imagine that is done more often. That sort of you're wrapping in a wrapping up kind of way. If you yeah, said that in it, real time, that would be an utterly extraordinary thing to say. Yeah, Sixty minutes, but is it too little, too late? Like, half it an hour proved to, go. to yeah, it proved to be too little, too mm. late. Well, no, even then, it didn't. It didn't. It, it proved to be too little, mathematically, that's true, but he can't say it was too late. Pulling a goal back in the 66th minute to make it 2-1, that's game on! That is game on! That's not too late. <laughs> it that's is game on. It doesn't have to be both. It was, <laughs> But ultimately, it was too little. Um, I mean, technically, I, by, by the logic of, if you're doing it retrospectively, then a goal, if you, pulled up, you, if you scored in the 10th minute to make it 2-1 and then didn't score again... You could say it proved to be too little too late. They, they ultimately <laughs> ran out of time. As a way of demonstrating how ridiculous that is. Charlie's skirting with this cometh the hour moment here. I hope you enjoyed no, the No, no. I'm very much saying, I'm supporting <laughs> your point. I'm saying by that logic, you could extend it to the nth degree and that would be ludicrous. Uh, I think you can feel in my voice that I feel quite passionate about this particular case study. So I had a little dig into the data because I, I like to back things up with data at the best of times. I can tell you that Northampton, after that 66th minute goal, to bring it back to 2-1. They only had three shots after that from an average range of 19.3 yards. And only right. one of them, Dave, was on target. Does that okay. make it more too late? I mean, it helps the too little, but I don't think it makes any dent in the too lateness. No, so they well, they did have some opportunities, but not any, by the sounds of it, any guilt-edged chances. I even got made for me a, a, one of those little graphs that tell you the attacking threat of the ebb and <laughs> flow of a game. And I can tell you after the 66th minute, Charlie, when they pulled that goal back, they really only had about three spells of real danger. I guess those were the shots, really. So they weren't really hammering at the door, Northampton. Um, but again... But with a bit more time, 
Maybe they yeah. would have been. Rather than us just, uh, you know, slating the usage here, <laughs> correctly or not, yeah. what, what, about, what about providing um, mm. a solution? What, what, would you, what would you use instead, Adam? If you were describing... In real you time, this, you mean. If you were doing this report and, and they'd scored the, in this exact same scenario, what would you say instead of your sort of closing flourish? It's not incumbent on us to do that. It's, it's, it's about to analyse... <laughs> you can only analyse the, the phrase that's put in front of you, is all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I think that you, there are... There are but it ultimately proved to be in vain you know yeah. after a, you know they, they rallied in the second half and pulled on back through player X but ultimately like, it proved to be in vain as I like in vain I do like in vain because that's that I mean but even then you probably wouldn't use it for say like a first half goal but I suppose you proved to be in vain you could talk about Northampton huffing and puffing for the for the last half an hour but yeah, yeah. ultimately couldn't find a way through wasn't to be but yeah doesn't it yeah doesn't have to be too little and too late so that's just one thing for everyone to remember Keep an eye what, on the clock. What do you think time. in real time is an acceptable... But You know when a commentator's right, but is it too little, too late? Is that an 80th minute onwards no, that, thing? No, that's, that's, like, that's like if you score... You think it's stoppage if you get time? One, if you get one back in stoppage time and you've got like hardly any time left at yeah. all. It needs to be late enough so that it doesn't set up a grandstand finish. Mm. But you know, with, with the way injury time these days is, Charlie, does the 89th minute mean anything? True. It's, it's going to be a huge cultural thing for us to move away from 89th and 90th minute discourse. I have to say. It's been on my mind for a while. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. Right, anyway. Uh, next, uh, I thought you've been a bit preoccupied. <laughs> uh, Charlie, a little quiz for you next. Uh, this next one came from Robert Dugmore, who was listening to Joby McEnough on the BBC Football Daily podcast, discussing where the post-Gary Rowett Millwall find themselves right now. Now, before we hear the clip, I want you to talk to me about the ways that you could describe where a team are at the moment in the bit sort of medium to bigger picture. How, what sort of things can you say? Yeah, look, you know, it's been a, it's been a hard few years for them. And I think where they are right now, I, I don't think they're going to be challenging for the playoffs. I don't think they're quite there yet. But I think they've stabilised, you know, from where they were... I, th- I think they're, they're they're in a healthy position. Got a few young players coming up, and you know that that's where they are for me. It, eerily similar to what we're about to hear, but I I love the way that Joby McEnough sort of managed to combine about three or four different vague ways of describing where a team are, and then making it all <laughs> make perfect sense. For me, this season, despite not being at their best, they're nowhere near a million miles off having another season where they can be in and around that playoff place. And I think if Millwall are getting, you know, into the playoffs come the end of the season, that's a really good season for them. <laughs> this is such a welcome challenge, Dave, to my football brain. Because my brain is basically trying to calibrate, like almost like a pl- like a plane would, like on autopilot, trying to trying to stabilise itself. They're nowhere near a million miles off being in and around the playoff places. And that to me is... Nine. That's it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't even know where they are in the table. Where are they? Millwall are 14th. 14th. Only three points off the playoff places. I think in the championship, points mean more than places. Points are one thing, but if you've got a shitload of teams in between, then you have to factor that in. So does that still qualify? I think it does. I think they are not a million miles away from... <laughs> I don't know what it was. Oh, bollocks. What's amazing about it is it's based on they're, like, they're a mid-table sort of outfit. But I guess that's the great thing about the, champ- the champo is that... Uh, being that, as long as you're not a million miles off the playoff places, then you, you've got a chance. As a Champo-observing veteran, Dave, I think this just <laughs> goes to show that trying to place a team and their kind of medium-term prospects in the championship 
it's it's a fool's errand. It's a difficult thing to do. And I think McEnough made a very, very good fist of it. And it's why people fall into that habit so often of, you know, th- there's always going to be, I don't know, eight teams, maybe eight to ten teams or something who are just, they don't really have any, there's nothing really going on. But the championship is so forgiving in a way, contrary to the notion that it's the hardest league in the world. It's actually very forgiving because at any point, if you if you do win three matches in March, all of a sudden... You could find yourself never a million miles away from the from the from the playoffs. Get sucked back into the playoffs. One team yeah. always gets sucked back up into the playoffs, don't they? <laughs> Slept walk their way into the playoffs. <laughs> don't even really want to be in here. If they're not careful. Uh, right, lovely stuff. Right, um, this is a, a fairly recent kind of entry into the football lexicon, but I think it's worthy of our attention. This came from Tsaru. Charlie says, seem to hear more and more players being described as a cheat code. What characteristics make a player a cheat code? Recovery pace, like Kyle Walker. Two-footedness, like Lauren James. Anything else? I, I love like- this because I, yeah. I had this exact thought the other day, and I think I use cheat code in conversation, oh. um, talking about someone's two-footedness. And so, and uh, yeah, and I was thinking like, oh, that has really entered the football vernacular as a thing i mean i guess it's from like gaming isn't it that oh yeah of the origins yeah. of it but yeah, i mean that's what so. yeah. the, it's but, not from sorry, park in sorry. world war ii mate <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna put this out there it's to do with gaming <laughs> oh i used i used the cheat code down at sainsbury's today a massive discount <laughs> the hugely popular fifa EA theory. Right, back, come on, back on it. Um, Dave, I think, I, and this may be self-explanatory really, but I think it, it, it's about very glaring physical and technical advantages that one player has over the rest. Now, I, I'd say a lot of it is, is physical. So um, someone is just having insane pace. So Adama Traore was probably referred to as a cheat code at one point because you know, he had that purple patch of just being completely unplayable. So there has to be quite a glaring advantage that one player has over their direct opponent, if not their peers. I think it does also need to align with productivity. Adama Traore, obviously really fast. You know, ironically, he would be, he is, in if you have him in FIFA, like one of the best players you can you can, you can have because you can just run down the, down the wing all game. But in the real life, doesn't really score enough or do enough, does he, to be a, be a proper cheat code. The, the player that came to mind for me with this, is I've, I think I've definitely heard this, heard this said, about him more than any other player is N'Golo Kante mm, okay. because of his ability to sort of just be everywhere the stamina but also aligned with you know ability effectiveness won titles World Cups you know it, it, and people always say like oh he's like having two players in yeah. one sort of thing but cheat code's kind of a bit like that I mean one a player I thought of is James Ward-Prowse oh because and I've just googled it and I've seen Chelsea fans demand James Ward-Prowse. He's a cheat code when it comes to free kicks. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because it is just like, you know, you've got this guy who has seem, seems to have cracked the code of how to score free kicks loads. Um, but he's not glamorous enough for a cheat code, is he? He's not special enough. I mean, cheating to an extent isn't isn't glamorous. Like it's, you know. When you used to use cheat codes, which I don't even think are really a thing anymore in computer games, are they? But when, when we were young and we'd play, you know, you could... <laughs> do all sorts and like you, you want it to be something amazing and like we should clarify as well because sometimes you talk about teams having a cheat code with this player but you also talk about the pl- like 
Is the player themselves the cheat code or is it the skill that they have? Because you kind of hear both. I, it seems so to like, be labelled to the player themselves, which which I agree is probably wrong. What about Haaland? Is Haaland a cheat code? I think he himself sort mm. of it. If you've got someone who's scoring basically a goal a game, that's almost like the ultimate cheat code. You've got a 1-0 head start every game. Actually, that's an interesting point. Haaland is probably about as close as you get to a multi-dimensional cheat code because everything else is very specific to one attribute. But with Haaland, it's size, pace and inevitable goal scoring, which to be fair, is just a byproduct of the first two things. And obviously, yes, he's a very capable striker and alert in the box, etc. So he's probably about as all round a cheat code as it gets. Everything else is very kind of one thing that they've got that nobody else can match. Exactly. And that's where I think it's City have the cheat code rather than him. Yeah. In that instance. It's never expressed that way, but maybe, you know, we're still in a phase where it's kind of establishing itself. Maybe we could. Maybe we could sort of try and steer it in the right direction. I think you've hit on something there, Charlie, because sometimes, as I said, N'Golo Kante be described as a cheat code, just as a sort of superlative, as as somebody praising how good he is or Warprouse or whatever. Whereas talking about Haaland I've heard it described as a negative almost as like you're complaining that you're playing against someone oh, you're, you're already Man City now you're using the cheat code <laughs> like come on okay all right so it's being held against people okay yeah okay all right fair enough we'll watch that one as it develops a rare thing a rare joy for us now from Matt Ryan Woods who offers up some genuine Farmers League news never thought this could you would expect this But this is from Newbury Today website, Dave. Newbury and District Agricultural Society ploughing match postponed due to bad weather. (laughs) Surely they can handle that. (laughs) Two ploughs going up against each other. What's the... I don't know if it's speed-based or if it's, you know, who does the best, better job of ploughing wins. The annual event, Charlie, which was due to take place at Rookery Farm in Courage on Saturday, showcases (laughs) ploughmen... (laughs) Ploughmen from across the UK competing to win top spot in each of their classes and qualify for the National Ploughing Championships. (laughs) For the Premier League of (laughs) Ploughing. Will it be rearranged? I I assume so. Can it be too wet for ploughing? I imagine it can. Well, I mean, I suppose... Just muffin, if, you, if, if you think about the old, yeah, exactly. When you think about the old expression of, oh, their pitch is like a ploughed field. Mm. You need it to be pristine in order to get to the ploughed field status. Yeah. If it's already if it's already been chewed up, there's nothing to plough. And of course, you know, if the approach roads, uh, that's, you know, safety well, is that, Yeah, it's, it's, it's the safety. <laughs> yeah. It's the safety of staff, which has to be the priority. If anyone did make the journey to Rookery Farm, um, they didn't leave completely disappointed, uh, Dave. Uh, the story continues. Despite the postponement, a pumpkin patch run by Eleanor Gilbert, better known as Berkshire Farm Girl, will still be going ahead at the farm. So yeah, there was still something to cheer on, something to give yeah. them to shout about. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. A completely innocuous WhatsApp landed in my inbox on Saturday evening, Charlie, from the athletic Sam Lee. And I, it immediately confronted me with something I'd never really thought about before. It ran about the final whistle after Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2. And the um, message went as follows. Did Mudrick just sneeze? And have you ever seen a footballer sneeze? Now, important context here. Mudrick had been taken off by that point. So he was just sort of walking, just clambering off the bench to go and mill around in his big puffer coat. So in a more relaxed state, basically. Because 
you know, before we dig into this, I guarantee you, Charlie, someone's going to tweet in after this and say that there's a sports science reason for this. Being in a state of high sporting arousal means you you can't sneeze. Your body won't let it happen. But Charlie, have you ever seen a footballer on the pitch sneeze? It's never happened. Have you ever sneezed playing football? Yeah, I think I'm sure there is something about the adrenaline because <laughs> ref, the fo- ref, just, just, what, what, what's it, one second, ref, <laughs> would you stop the game for someone to sneeze? <laughs> well, if it's a penalty, if the, key, if the keeper's about to sneeze before the penalty. <laughs> I'm sure you're right about the sort of the sports science element in the way that when you are under the weather, somehow when whilst you're playing, you're sort of fine for that period. It's then after, which I guess supports this. Mudrick maybe hadn't been feeling great right. while playing. You're fine. But then as soon as you stop. Sneezes can be incidental, of course. You don't have to be ill to sneeze. Yeah, true. Yeah. Could just be, true. Yeah, could be a, a mere speck of dust. Yeah. But if it is, you know, if it is a slight under the weather, I do always wonder that with players, do they, you know, sometimes, you know, a player's just, not playing because they've got like sniffles and stuff or or are they so finely tuned that they don't really get you know surely they're so well slept and everything that they're not really yeah. getting those sorts of things I'm going with the adrenaline argument for now but if you did sneeze just as a penalty or free kick was being taken would it be a bookable offence <laughs> ungentlemanly conduct <laughs> I'm still preoccupied Dave by this Sunday league scenario where if I don't know if a goal goes in but the goalkeeper sneezed mid-goal would there be this kind of Carnu versus Sheffield United situation where they go oh, oh you, you got you <laughs> got let's have that back <laughs> you can't have that they're running off celebrating they're going you, yeah that's a disgrace isn't there a proper football man thing though? Isn't there a sort of hypothetical thing like if someone went down easy, oh yeah, he's, he's sneezed in his direction or something, well, yeah. or the, the goals As are being Keezy ruled said out? Last week, yeah, Bruno Fernandes going down like someone sneezed on him, there which wouldn't happen, as we know. Yeah. Anecdotally, no footballer has ever sneezed on the pitch. This is like you are the ref. Nobody knows what would happen. Oh dear, oh dear, wonderful stuff. Right. The last item of the adjudication panel this week came from Niall. Charlie, I'll ask this to you as well. Can you remember which former footballer appeared on Peter Kay and Matt Lucas's comic relief cover of the Proclaimers classic 500 Miles in 2007? Care to guess? 2007. So presumably it's someone with like bantery credentials. Yeah, so let, let me give you a bit of context. So the video just uh, has loads of sort of VIPs in black tie standing around dancing and singing along to it while Matt Lucas and Peter Kay are on stage in, in some sort of character singing the song. So VIPs a... of the time. Okay. It's a bit early for Jimmy Bullard, isn't it? 2007. Otherwise I can sort of imagine. Like, it feels like it's the type of gig someone who is no stranger to Soccer AM would... And that's, that's a reasonable, reasonable assumption. Crouch? He was post-robot at that stage, wasn't he? It, it yeah, was he was, for... yeah. Crouch is a great yeah. shout. Maybe, maybe. Uh, well, I can tell you that even Peter Kay himself can't remember. We build it, they will come, and come they certainly did. Here's the lineup in alphabetical order, cut and pasted from Wikipedia. Right, here we go. Johnny Ball, David Beckham, well, a lookalike. Well, he said he were. Sir David Bellamy, Dusty Bin, Tony Blackburn, Stan Boardman, Basil Brush, Bob the Builder, Bucks, Fizz, Tommy Cannon, and Bobby Ball, God rest his soul. Bob Carroll, Jesus Spit the Dog, of course. Jasper Carrot, Keith Chegwin, Jimmy Cricket, Mark Curry, Tess Daly, Bobby Davro, Carol Decker, Sally Denever, that's Sally from Curry, Leslie Garrett, Andy Gray. Who the fuck's Andy Gray? Sorry, Andy. I don't know who you are. Maybe you've pissed about on Wikipedia. Claire Grogan, Paul Henry, Benny from Crossroads. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, obviously, let's let's just first deal with the joy of who the fuck is Andy Gray, which is obviously obviously hilarious. So, I mean, it would have been better to have who the fuck is Richard Keys, but um, amusing nonetheless. Now we dig into this conspiracy theory, Dave, that Andy Gray has somehow inserted himself into this role of honour because I've watched the video. They're, you know, they're all in a studio singing this song. He's nerv- He's not to be seen. He's nowhere to be seen in this video. And crucially, they run the credits afterwards for all the people who are there. Not there either. Des Lynam's there, but Andy Gray is not there. So someone has put Andy Gray <laughs> in multiple places as well, not just Wikipedia, as being in that room. And he wasn't. There's no evidence to suggest it. Why? Wow. Conspiracy. I mean, he wasn't trying to rehabilitate his uh, reputation in 2007. He was at the peak of his powers. Yeah, this, yeah. This, is this not, you know, someone who, like us, would just find it very funny if Andy Gray <laughs> was randomly inserted into it? And he wouldn't do it on his own. He would be with Keezy. No question yeah. after appearance of bearing. That is uh, amazing. Are you shocked? I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe there's a kind of, I don't know, mainstream TV, terrestrial, satellite situation going on here, Charlie, but are you surprised that Peter Gay doesn't know who Andy Gray is? Yeah, I am. Yeah, Gray, Gray was such a big a big name in football for such a long time. Peak Barclays is, is so, to me, culturally intertwined with that era of comedy, I think. I think it, they both go hand in hand. You put them in a time capsule together. Bolton as well. I mean, such a great t- team for that era. Yeah, who knows? Well, maybe we'll never find out. Maybe just Richard Keyes doing his mate a favour. Speaking of which, <laughs> it's time for Keyes and Gray Corner. Just a couple of items for you this time around. Um, Charlie, you may recall in 2022-23, Keezy's big thing was teams over-celebrating wins, right? Mm-hmm. Real bugbear of his. Uh, so naturally, he's, he's evolved this, and now he's moved on to managers not being quite solemn enough after drawing 2-2. Am I the only one that's got a problem with this? Um, you're the manager of a side two up that's cruising until you keep a hands away back into the game to the opposition and you leave the field smiling and joking with that the opposition goalkeeping That doesn't coach. necessarily mean he's smiling and joking walking into that dressing room. That just, so that, that just looked he's, he's having a friendly mm. bit of banter with somebody. Why can't you it? do that down the tunnel? Why, why can't you get up off your seat, head down the tunnel, be angry that your team have thrown away two points and I let guess, them know when you I get in? I guess the word that you use quite a lot, optics, come into it in many Yeah, ways. I spoke to a Chelsea, mate of mine is a Chelsea fan yesterday, Andy, and they weren't best pleased about it. See, I said to you yesterday, I don't imagine for a million miles, a million years that Alex Ferguson, no. in that situation, 2-0 up, cruising in the game, winning it comfortably, then throwing it away stupidly, would have, would have been just, on the pitch. Just wonder sometimes if it but his personality means it? enough. His personality of course, doesn't. It's a, it's uh, we the don't, we don't here. As a manager, yeah. His personality always seemed to be low-key, didn't it? It's yeah. always seemed to be that. So, so is there a winner in there? His career suggests <laughs> not. That temperament we've just seen there will be very different in that dressing room. I it's about progression for them, isn't show it? Show what you meant to the Chelsea fans, mm-hmm. not go off laughing and joking okay. with the opposition. Charlie, I, I don't think we—I don't think we've really picked up on this before, but I, I love how that they every now and then, when push comes to shove, they employ the Ferguson test mm. to certain scenarios. You'd never have seen Ferguson, yeah. Fergie, doing that, would you? The two bits I love. One is McAteer really trying to play the trump card of "I know what it's like in a dressing room." You don't, hoping that might 
sort of <laughs> get Keezy off the scent a little bit. Obviously, in it does that it. dressing room. In, in that dressing room. My other favourite bit is this imagined conversation Keys has had with a Chelsea mate of his. <laughs> and you can just imagine, it would have been, if, if this conversation happened at all, it would have been long lines like, I mean, what, what did you, I thought it was outrageous what, what Maurizio was doing yesterday. And the fan being like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's annoying, isn't it? I mean, like, there is no way this fan is even a fraction as annoyed as what Keezy is, and he's presented this argument to it. And even if he was, even if he was, there's, there's no hint of sample size to Richard Keezy's logic, ever. That, that Chelsea fan that he spoke to is the definitive voice on the subject, unnamed, spoke, speaking anonymously to protect relationships. And Andy Gray just... Andy Gray dropping in the word optics yeah. there, Dave, which I imagine is probably a conversation they've had a few times. A word you like to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Um, I hope I hope that bugbear continues and all all draws from 2-0 down become his focus. Next up, he's he's all, he's got a huge interest in Manchester United as a concept, Dave, and uh, the news that their takeover saga might be reaching something of a conclusion means that he now has a pet name ready for prospective Manchester United minority owner Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Do you know what it is? Um, I do. I did see this last week, but I've actually I've forgotten it now. Go on, what is it? It's Dim Jim. <laughs> Dim Jim. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long old season, isn't it? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this, what is it like in the sort of keysy canon of things that bother him what what would be the thing that would most make him hate Ratcliffe is it his money is it he's a tax I, exile I'm gonna go maybe maybe that but I'm gonna go with petrochemicals billionaire but not from the Middle East <laughs> right yeah that's it simple as that because there's another world in which you can imagine being so sycophantic towards someone like that but I'm just I'm Really fascinated by the thing that's... Or is it cycling? Is it, you know, he's come from another sport? Does he know football? Keezy hates Brailsford, by the way. This is where yes. Dim Jim came in because Brailsford is tipped to become part of the Manchester United hierarchy as some form. And Keezy's dead against this. Marginal gains. Should be no place <laughs> for Brailsford. One to watch. <laughs> Look at Southampton. They tried it with Clive Woodward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doesn't work you need football men in football jobs Clive's a nice man but it just didn't work <laughs> Clive would be the first to admit that now Brailsford's quite doha so I imagine their paths will meet at some point and it will get smoothed over anyway a little express keys and grey corner for you this week um, thanks to you Charlie Eccleshare thank you thanks to you Dave Walker thank you thanks to everyone for listening back on Thursday see you later Sports Social Podcast Network <laughs> 